I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I hope you were glad when your parents said, we're going to the house of the Lord. We get this opportunity to enjoy worship together. And uh, uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you can be a part of this time. And uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Hopefully you can stay after for a few minutes, uh, introduce yourself to a few people, and uh, give us that opportunity. Uh, Another way, if you'd like to be on our radar and just give us the opportunity to reach out to you, uh, we will not spam you. Um, But just uh, texting the word welcome to the number that's on the screen, it just gives us the awareness that you were here and the opportunity to reach out and and get to know you a little bit better. And uh, if you don't prefer using text, there is a connect card, paper, use a pen, uh, in the uh, uh, pocket in front of you. You can just fill that out, put it in the offering plate. Yet again, gives us the opportunity to uh, know that you were with us and to try to connect with you. Uh, If you have been here for a little while and you're interested in knowing a little bit more about membership, uh, our Inquirer's class uh, meets after the worship service uh, in Pastor Jeff's office just down the hall and on the right. And I would love to have you uh, participate in that class so you can get to know a little bit more about what membership is like at Redeemer um, and uh, make that prayerful decision. Um, normally, on, on the uh, third Sunday, we have our praise service and food and fellowship in the evening. We do not have it in September. Uh, the next time we'll do it is in October. Um, also, an email went out uh, asking for nursery volunteers. Uh, think about the opportunity that we have to start off um, uh, little ones loving coming to church. And you have an opportunity to love them and care for them uh, while parents have this time of worship. And uh, if you'd like to be a part of that ministry, please respond uh, to that email. Just click on the sign-up link. And uh, many hands make light work, so the more that we can get uh, in that regular rotation, it's just going to be such a great help for that very, very important ministry in our church. I think every time we baptize a baby, we vow that we're going to help care uh, for uh, the children. That's just one way uh, that you can fulfill that vow. So we just encourage you to, to be a part of that. Uh, After our worship service, I think, as you know, we have our elders down here for prayer. Uh, This morning, we also have uh, ladies who will be um, offering prayer for other ladies uh, right just outside this door in that little room right there, the cry room. Uh, If you'd like to have uh, a time of prayer, please uh, take them up on that. They'd love to just come around you and uh, lift up whatever burdens you have, even if you don't want to say exactly what it is, you have people praying for you, and uh, that is just a wonderful blessing to be in the house of prayer. So let's take this moment now and prepare our hearts as we come before our God.
We were made to worship. There is no more important thing that we can ever do in our lives. No greater priority but bringing praise to our God. Even if the only thing we had was our life and nothing else, God would be worthy of our praise. And yet, in His abundant grace, He has blessed us with all that we have, giving us His one and only Son, giving us His Spirit, and by His Spirit through faith, uniting us as one with Jesus, who Himself is one with the Father, God gave us Himself. I can't think of any other reason to rejoice but in the abundance of what we have in our God. And so that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Do you love the Lord and His kingdom? Well, let's stand together as we sing. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come into your house because you have welcomed us. Though we are sinners, though we have fallen short of your glory, by your grace through our Lord Jesus Christ, and being united to him by the power of your spirit through faith, Lord, we come to find our greatest joy, our greatest rest, the peace that surpasses understanding all that we need in you. Lord, you, in your abundance and in your glory, are worthy of praise. And we ask that your Spirit would do a special work in our hearts because you have revealed yourself through your Word so that we might know you. Help us as we praise you, knowing you even better. Amen.
Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And during this time of our reading of God's word and of our confession of sin, we are going through our Ten Commandments series. And to assist us, we are using uh, the uh, larger catechism to unpack what each of these commandments are. And we are on the fifth commandment uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And uh, I'm going to read that, and then we're going to look at... Um, the uh, question in the catechism about uh, what are the responsibilities or the duties of inferiors to superiors. Now, in our normal speak, right, that's just not how we talk, right? If you talk about somebody being inferior, it has a negative connotation. In the confession, it does not. It's merely saying, right, a person who has lesser authority than a person who has greater authority. All those with greater authority also have greater responsibility, and we'll get to that in a little while. So right now, looking at uh, children to parents, right, uh, children to teachers, to pastors, right, all of us to other authorities in our lives, uh, every one of us are under authority, and so we, as the children of God, can come under that authority. And so let's hear God's word uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so let us confess our faith together, answering this question. What is the honor that inferiors owe to their superiors? The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, Due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, defense, and maintenance of their persons and authority, according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love, that so they may be an honor to them and to their government. We know our rebellious nature, particularly when it comes to those over us in authority. How often is it do we mock politicians? Easy to do, I know. But what we just read is saying our responsibility is to honor those, even though they're sinners, even though they fall short, every superior that's over us. Our responsibility is to bring honor to all people, as it says in 1 Peter. That's not natural to us. We need God's help. And so in whatever ways you've fallen short, let's take this time to confess that to our God and to plead his grace to enable us to be a humble people that serve an authoritative and holy God with great joy. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know how quickly we can find fault in those who are over us in authority. 
and how we feel justified to not only not follow, but also mock them. And we ask your forgiveness for that. We know we have no justification for it because every authority that's been placed over us has been placed there by you. And we ask for your mercy and for your help that we can do our part to serve their needs, encourage them, do what we can to make their jobs easier, that they might serve with joy in whatever role they have in our lives. Father, help each of the children here to be able to respond to their parents, knowing that their parents have greater experience and wisdom than they do and that they would just recognize the help that their parents can be to them and how much they love them. Lord, help us to know how much you love us and that we would not balk at your authority, that your word would go forth in our hearts this day and that we would joyfully submit to your leadership because you are our God and our Heavenly Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord offers to us his assurance of pardon uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We get to rejoice in his drawing near to us because he has promised to hold us fast. Let us stand and praise him for that.
Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. Many of us would acknowledge today that we are in troubled times. What is evil is called good, and what is good is called evil. Many of us cannot remember a time in our lifetime when culture was so void of morality and faith. However, spiritually, we may be in the most blessed time in history. If we were born in Moses' time, Moses' time, we would not have had the comfort of meditating on the Psalms. If we were born in Samuel's time, we would not have had the wisdom of reflecting on Proverbs. If we were born in King David's time, we would not have had the blessing of being inspired by the Gospels. Today we have the complete sacred scriptures to rely and meditate upon. A large part of mankind's history did not have that. So many promises and truths to encourage and strengthen us in this life. Did you come to today's service worn down from the burdens of this life? Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Are you going through a season of loneliness? As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Are you feeling unsettled, fearful, and anxious this morning? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Remember, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Oh, Father, we thank you for all the many gifts that you have blessed us with. As it says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift is from above. Help us keep our eyes on Jesus, our rock, our hope, and our salvation. Amen.
Before we go to our time of prayer, I want to mention a couple of things. One is about our presbytery. If you don't know what our presbytery is, it's the regional group of churches that we belong to. We meet a number of times a year. Yesterday was one of those meetings. And so since we're part of this regional group, I want to tell you just a few things about what we did. One of our functions is to examine new pastors. And there was a new pastor examined yesterday, Kyle Samford, and there will be an installation service for him soon. So the congregation that he is serving in Rockford, we're really thankful that the Lord has brought them a new pastor. And that's one of the things we really rejoice about together. Uh, there were also a couple of young men examined what we call a faith and life exam. So they are studying in seminary. So we examine them and their commitment and their sense of call. So those are also joyful things to do. We also had a number of follow-up things from the trial that happened, the trials that happened over the summer. Those are more difficult things. And so our presbytery has some of both difficult and joyful things together. But we're going to pray this morning for our presbytery. The other thing I wanted to note is as you came in this morning, you may have noticed that after the service, there is going to be a celebration for Bill and Gladys for Mullen. I'm not going to ask them to stand. They would feel very uncomfortable with that. But they are celebrating this morning their 69th wedding anniversary. Yeah. I've been married for far less than that. And those of you who are married know that marriage is joyful and sometimes very difficult. And without saying anything particular about the Vermilion, Vermi, Vermil, <laughs> Vermulans, enduring that long in any relationship is an incredible testimony to the faithfulness of God. It is. And we want to give praise to the Lord that not only have they been married for that long, but God has been the one who has sustained them over those many years. I've heard a pastor say you can tell a lot about a congregation by what they celebrate and what they mourn. And so we want to celebrate God's faithfulness. We want to celebrate marriages this morning. I also am aware that sometimes marriages do not go well. And I don't mean to rain in a parade this morning, but it is also true that sometimes marriages are so difficult that there are things that happen there that should not. And we also are a church that is dedicated to helping and so this is the month in which we also remember domestic violence. And so this morning, whether you celebrate many, many years of joyful marriage or you are in a position in which your marriage is very difficult, and if they're sinful and even things that need to be worked through in your marriage, we are a church that is committed to helping. I've asked these ladies to stand before. I want to just note this before we move on. We have a group of women who are dedicated to helping those who are in those difficult marriages. If you're part of that team, could you just stand for a moment? There's no more effective way that I know of for you to be identified and for them to see who you are. So just look at that of these women, see these women. If you need help, these are the women to go to. And we as a church are committed to helping. So you can sit down unless you'd like to stand longer. So let's go together as a congregation before our Lord in prayer. This is a great, great privilege the Lord has given us to speak to Him and to lay our concerns before Him. So let's do that. Our Father, Your Word says that when we come to You in Jesus' name, 
that we are like small children who are coming before you and you long to hear our prayers. We know it's, what it's like as parents to view our children. They come to us with humble requests, sometimes even things that don't make sense to us, or even things that we would say, those requests are not really what's good for you. And the Bible says that our Father in heaven, that you as our God, are a far, far more kind and gentle God, a far more kind and gentle Father than any father or mother can be on this earth. And when you hear our prayers, you not only hear us and you listen to us, we believe this morning that as we are praying, our voices and and the concerns of our hearts do not stop at the ceiling of this room, but they go to the very throne room of God Almighty. And God, the God of the universe, the one who created this world out of nothing, whose air we breathe and causes our hearts to beat, upon whose ground our feet tread. This God is the God who hears our prayers. And Lord, we must confess that we do not feel worthy to speak to you. As we have already confessed, there have been times over this past week when we have not done what pleases you. Maybe it is as we've confessed in those areas in which we have owed obedience to others. Maybe it's to our parents. Maybe it is to the authorities over us. Maybe it's even to the spirit of our heart that we begrudge those who have more power and authority than we do. And maybe in this moment we feel so unworthy. It's not that we won't pray. It's just that we don't have much confidence that you're going to hear us. And so it is so critical for us to enter before you at all times, but especially now, knowing that we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who brings us before the God of the universe. And Lord, it is because of the mercy that belongs to your Son that we can pray with boldness. Not just asking but asking with confidence. We pray this morning for our presbytery, for the regional group of churches in Michigan and the few in Ontario that we belong to. We've made a commitment together to hold each other accountable and to help each other as we do things of mutual interest. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in these churches that are also in worship this morning. They're also praying and hearing your word and singing to you. And Lord, hear us as a great group of people together gather before you. See us as those who come from all different walks of life, all different experiences with joys and sorrows of every imaginable type. But gather together worshiping you. Lord, this is an anticipation of the day in which Revelation says there will be this great throng before your throne singing praises to you. Earlier when we were singing together as we were singing in this building these beautiful songs i love your kingdom lord my thoughts went to that day when we will be singing with such joy and such fervency when even our voices (laughs) that seem weak now will be filled with such strength and we will be worshiping you as you deserve lord in whatever humble way Our presbytery anticipates that future. We are deeply grateful. And we pray that as a body of churches that you would give us wisdom to know how to simply 
be obedient to you in the most obvious commands that you've given. How to make disciples, how to worship you, how to protect the people of God. Sometimes in the minutia of what we do, we lose sight of the big picture and we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a presbytery to understand and to respond to the central calling of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is also just a wonderful honor to belong to a local church. The joy that we receive from being in a building and hearing the voices around us singing about how we love our Savior, how we understand His mercy, it's an incredible gift. And we're thankful that within this body we also celebrate together as a people of God. And this morning we are thankful that you have given us as humanity the institution of marriage. You've called a man and a woman together to be married, to be one of the foundational institutions in human society. And we recognize all the ways that goes wrong. That goes wrong. For some of us, we may bemoan the state of marriages in our world as a whole, misunderstandings about who should be married, the fragility of the institution in our culture that people divorce very easily. Maybe we bemoan a selfishness where we see people not wanting to get married because they can pursue their own interests. We can point out all those things around us, and Lord, we pray that you would keep us from developing a superiority. Instead, give us the humility to see that within the body of Christ, we also have a great responsibility to love those within our own homes. And in order for that to be true, we need your help, Lord. We are inherently selfish. We look at our partner and we say, why can't you just do what I want you to? Why don't you make me happier? Why don't you satisfy me? Why are you always like that? We pray that within the body of the church, that we would learn to love those around us by first loving those who are closest to us. And we praise and we're so thankful, Lord, for the great examples that we have been given within this body. For the Vermulans and the 69 years of life that you've given them together. For the tremendous blessing they've been to others, to their family, to the church as a whole, to our particular congregation. But also the blessing that they've been to each other. The love that they show, the tenderness that they express to each other the way to help each other. Lord, we pray that in this body that you would give us those kinds of healthy marriages. And Lord, help us in those places where that is not true. For those of us who suffer in difficult marriages, for those who suffer in difficult marriages to the point where something is tragically wrong, we pray that you give us a courage to reach out for help for those places in which we just ignore those around us, give us sensitivity and kindness, give us repentance. And we pray for those who are missing their spouse this morning, maybe because of death 
where because of divorce, there's an emptiness in their heart, in their home. And we pray for your comfort for them. We pray for others who would like to be married, and that's not what you've given to them at this point. Lord, we pray that in a world that values the individual to the point at which the individual becomes all that matters, we pray that you would help us to be countercultural in this regard, that we love those things that you've given us, including the gift of marriage. Father, you're kind to us, you're good to us in so many ways. And this morning we recognize that goodness. We celebrate it. We give you thanks. And as we go to your word in a few moments, we'll need your help there as well. Maybe our minds are weary. Maybe we've come from a week in which there were so many pressures it's hard to clear our minds. Maybe there are frustrations that exist. Maybe we're just tired. But your spirit has the ability, according to Paul, to open our hearts to know the things of God. And I pray for my ability to speak that truth clearly and winsomely, and I pray for each heart that is here and those who are joining us now over the internet stream. Lord, your spirit is not limited. He is the power of God himself. So, Lord, we ask humbly that you would do a great work in us as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn in your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? If you're not aware, over the last couple of weeks, I've been preaching a short series in 1 Corinthians 12 about the value of the church. And this morning we'll be reading in our Bibles from verse 27 through chapter 13, verse 13. You can follow along if you have Bibles with you. Otherwise, you can follow along in the screen behind me. If you're here this morning and this is all new to you, what I'm about to do is explain to you a part of the Bible. The Bible, we believe, has been given to us by God himself. It is a book that is unlike any other book. It's infallible and errant. That means it's not going to deceive us or lead us astray. And because of that, we take a good portion of time to read it and understand it, not just because it's a book, but because we believe God speaks to us. He has spoken and he continues to speak to us through this word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we all know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, per, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is God's Word. This is the last sermon, as I said, on the importance of the church. And I'm about to tell you a story about a young man. And I've asked his permission to tell you the story, otherwise I wouldn't. He showed up at our door. I think it was a Saturday afternoon. We lived in a rural community right next to Highway 69 in a small Iowa town. It wasn't unusual for people to stop because on this piece of property there were three things. The church building, the graveyard, and the parsonage. And people driving, driving by, if they needed to some, something, would stop fairly regularly to ask the question... Can you help me pastor with some gas money? I really could use some grocery money. Is there anything you can do to help fix my car? It wasn't unusual at all. And as a church, we did our best to try to help. So when Jimmy showed up, my initial thought was, here's a young man who needs help. And I opened the door rather begrudgingly. But when Jimmy spoke, he asked me this question. He said, are you a Reformed church? I said, yes, that's an unusual question He said, there was a guy down the road who told me this is a Reformed church and I wanted to come and talk to you. So we chatted for a little bit and I thought he was just an interested guy. Turns out he was very interested. The Lord had been doing a great work in his heart. And literally from that moment on, he showed up with his wife and his children every Sunday. But that's not the remarkable part of the story. The remarkable part of the story is that Jimmy and his wife invited our family and, in fact, the congregation into their lives. From the first Sunday that Jimmy and his wife and his children were part of our church, they invited people into their home. I remember an older couple that we went to their home with, and the couple said, this is the first time I've been in the home of someone in the church I'm not related to. I heard that. It's surprising, isn't it? But it's not unusual. This morning, if Jimmy is listening, and there's a chance he is, what I want to say to him is I'm very thankful that you taught me how to love people in the church of Christ. And the reason I'm thankful for that is because the third thing that 1 Corinthians 12 tells us about the value of the church, the reason why you should value the church is because the church is the place in which you can be loved. 
And as strange as that sounds, if you've been in church for many years, you might have experiences in which it's not love that you've experienced, but difficulty and a heartache, maybe squabbling, maybe hard feelings. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, Paul explains to us, and I'm going to explain in just a minute, why it is true that the church is the place where you can be loved. In order to explain that to you, I want to tell you three things. Now, if you're a child, I'm going to read this slowly because they're not easy to remember, but this is the best I could do in trying to explain this to you. The first thing that Paul tells us is that what is true of the whole is true also of us. And he says that in verses 27 and the beginning of verse 28. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God is appointed in the church first. Up to this point in this short series, I haven't given you much information about the church in Corinth. Maybe some of you bring that information with you. You've studied this book before. I don't want to assume that. Ordinarily, when I'm preaching a series of sermons, I weave that history into the sermons. It's critical for us to understand that Paul was writing to real people and how these words would have been understood by the people who received them first. But I've held back in explaining to you the people that Paul was writing to because I wanted to reserve it for this morning. The Corinthian church was not an easy church to belong to. It was a very troubled church. In fact, in my estimation, it may have been one of the most troubled. When you read through the earlier chapters of 1 Corinthians, you'll notice there are all sorts of things that he addresses. He talks about deep conflict in the church. It's in the first chapter. He talks about Christians suing each other and how dishonoring that is to our Lord. He talks about sexual immorality in the church. He says, of the sort that even unbelievers don't experience. This is a very troubled church. But in the chapters that we are looking at, Paul addresses more than simply the trouble at the church. There seems to be some additional questions that he wants to address with these Corinthians. These include the relationship between men and women, especially in worship, how to conduct the Lord's Supper, and the use of spiritual gifts in the church. Now, especially this last one is where we are in chapter 12. How do we think about spiritual gifts in the church? The first thing I just want to acknowledge is that we don't talk about that very much. In fact, someone in our church recently called me on the phone. I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. She said, could I go through a spiritual gift analysis with some ladies in our church? Do you think that'd be okay? And my first thought was, well, that's pretty interesting considering I've just studied 1 Corinthians 12 where we talk about spiritual gifts. (laughs) Of course that's okay. Now, because we're not used to talking about them, it seems strange then when Paul enters into this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What you must know about this chapter in order to understand what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is that they were very concerned about the speaking in tongues. Now to the Pentecostals in the Christian church who believe that the speaking in tongues was some kind of ecstatic utterance or maybe an angelic language, I would say to you my conviction is very different. That is, it probably was ordinary human languages that God equipped 
people to speak in order to spread the gospel. You can see that in Acts chapter 2. But whatever you think about the speaking in tongues, what was true in the Corinthian church is that it was valued, it seems, as the spiritual gift to have. And because of this desire for that spiritual gift, Paul Paul places great emphasis on the importance and the role of the church as a whole. Now, I realize I'm belaboring this a bit, and I'm doing that intentionally because I want you to see that chapter 12 is about how gifts function within the church as a whole, or even more generally, how we fit into the church as a whole. And I've said it before previous weeks, but I want to say it again because it is such an important part of this chapter. One of Paul's burdens is to say to us over and over, the church consists of the various members, that is the various parts of the church, the people of the church, and there are no extra parts in the church. There is no one who has a great gift that makes that person the super member and the rest of us are relegated to, well, we just sort of belong, but we don't really matter. No, Paul says, no, we all belong together. You see that again in the verses I just read. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He is saying again to you this morning, That to belong to the body of Jesus Christ means you're an integral part of who we are. You're not extra. You're not a part that just shows up occasionally. No, to be a healthy member of a church means we're integrated. We belong together. We have joy with those who have joy. We weep with those who weep. And we do so because we belong. This is us. This is who God has given us together. Now, if I fail to say this strongly enough before, I want to say it now. And maybe this is something, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down, because I have it italicized in my notes. If Paul is working so hard to convince us of our role in the church, there's a reason for it. And as the church is critically important. In fact, important enough for you to invest your life and your energy in. It's not just a place like any other place. No, Paul is telling us as the Bible seeks to convince us that the church of Jesus Christ is critically important in the way in which God is working in his world. In fact, critical enough That for me to call you to invest your time and your energy in the church is not my desire just for the church to function well. This is the call of Jesus Christ to you. Now you might wonder, how in the world could I make that point so powerfully? I want to point out something that Paul is doing in verses 27 and the beginning of 28. It's kind of a minor point, but I think 
It is significant in the way Paul speaks. In verse 27 and 28, Paul uses the word church, I think, in two different ways. It is clear in verse 27 that Paul, at the beginning, is emphasizing to the people of Corinth that they belong in their church, that is the local congregation, the place that they belong. He says, you are the body of Christ and members of it individually. But then in verse 28, he goes on to say, and God has also pointed in the church. And then he goes on to talk about the apostles and prophets and teachers. On the one hand, he seems to use church as this, the people who are gathered in a particular location. And then he also calls the church, the great body of believers in all space and time that our particular congregation is a part of. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing that is because I want you to hear that what Paul says to the church generally also applies to us. That when the Bible speaks about the church being entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not just the church generally, it is this church that is entrusted with the gospel. There is no other organization in the world to which the gospel of Jesus Christ and its spread has been entrusted. It is the church who has been given the precious news of grace in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended and through his disciples to the church, go and make disciples baptizing them and teaching them everything that I have commanded you and go to the ends of the world to do it. This is the central calling of the church to bring worship to our God by making disciples of those who have wandered far from Him. That's why the Big C Church exists and that's why Redeemer Church exists. If you're part of the inquirer's class after this morning's service, you're going to note that we're going to start our second meeting by me explaining to you why Redeemer exists. And I can just tell you it's not because there were people who thought, hey, there's not a church that exactly like we like it, so we should start one so that we have our own church. No, Redeemer exists in this time and place Because there are people who do not know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're among them. And those who are here, we need to grow and mature into likeness of Christ. That's why we exist. And that purpose, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out and transform human beings and transform families and communities and eventually the world So that when Jesus Christ comes back, he receives to himself a bride who's gloriously prepared. That is the calling of the church. And here's the beautiful news for you. You've been called into that. If I can just step away from the passage for a moment. I know that some of you come here and you feel like your life really doesn't have a lot of meaning. Maybe you go to work every day and you just, you put in the time. You punch the clock, you go home, you feel like, okay, what did I really do? 
Maybe what I'm doing is providing for myself, and perhaps if you're married, children, you're providing for my family. That's what I'm doing, providing for them. And then you come home and you walk through the door, and if I could just tell you this, I don't mean to be too funny, they don't appreciate all that you do for them. So rather than finding some great sense of fulfillment and look how hard I'm working, instead there are demands and requests And you think to yourself, why am I doing this? What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Maybe that resonates with you, maybe not. But it's one of the great questions of human existence. Why am I here? What is my my existence for? I think it is in God's kindness to us as human beings that he gives a great purpose to the church of Jesus Christ, a place where we can belong, that we can know together that our purpose, there is purpose in work, there is purpose in family, there is purpose in being a good citizen of our nation, but you will not know those purposes apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ in which he is declared to be king and lord. Otherwise, those areas of life in which you work, you'll find other sorts of goals. And let me tell you, they will not satisfy your heart. But if the church is called to be the place that makes and matures disciples for Jesus Christ, the big church in our congregation, you can contribute to something that really matters. Not just for a moment, not for a while, not just when you're sitting here in these comfy chairs, but you can contribute to something for a lifetime. No, really, you'll contribute to something that lasts for eternity. And that is a purpose that I would dare say the mass of humanity longs for and yet never finds because they're looking for something that only can be satisfied in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the longest part of my sermon. And it is what is true of the whole is true of us. That is what is true of the church. That is we have a great calling. It is also true of this congregation. We have that calling. And you belong here with a great purpose. The second thing I want to point out to you actually takes more words in the text. And that is what has been true in the past continue, continues to be true for us. And that's found at the end of verse 28 into verse 30. And I'm not going to read it again. But when you look at those verses, you see a list of what we might call spiritual gifts. And what I want you to notice, if you look there in your Bibles, if you have them open, is that that list actually divides into two parts, I believe. Paul says, first, he is given what? Apostles, then prophets, then teachers. That is the first part of the list. These are what you might describe as offices in the church, official positions that God has given responsibility to. If I can kind of burrow down or dig down on that list, Paul in another place in Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that the prophets and the apostles are the two offices upon which the church is built. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is historically it is through these two offices that the word of Christ came to us. Christ formed the church 
through the word of the apostles and the prophets. In the Old Testament, the prophets called the people to look forward to Jesus Christ. He built their appetite for him so that when the Messiah came, they were ready. They wanted to receive him. They could say like John the Baptist, there's the Lamb of God who takes away away the sin of the world. What did the apostles do? The apostles walked with Jesus and explained to us what it means for Jesus to have entered the world. These apostles, apostles and prophets gave us original revelation. And once that revelation was complete, those offices no longer exist. But then Paul adds to the apostles and prophets, he says, teachers. And I have to tell you that in my estimation... At least from my position this morning speaking to you, I'm very happy for this office. (laughs) Because I don't know why, I've explained to you before, if I look back at my history and my life and the twists and turns historically and the struggle I have with my own sin, I am amazed that God has given me the honor and privilege of speaking to you about the Word of God this morning. (laughs) It is a huge testimony to me about the mercy of God that God would give me the honor of doing this. So, if I can just point out to you in the text, the office of teacher is meant to follow on the office, offices of apostles and prophets. The role of the teacher continues, and it is what we're doing here this morning. We're explaining the revelation that God gave through the apostles and the prophets And I continue to explain that revelation to you. I'm not here this morning to give you some nice reflections on my life and how for you to be a better person and what it means for us to do good things for our community. I want you to be nicer. We should do good things for our community. But at the very core of what the church is, is the revelation that comes in the Scripture, the Bible, about who Jesus is and what he does to form the church. So here I am, as I said, speaking to you, Lord willing, fulfilling the office that continues in the church today. And because he begins with this list, I just want to point out to you a temptation that may very quickly follow. Because I'm up here speaking and you're there listening, you might get the impression that the most important office in the church is the office of teacher. Or maybe I'll go even a step further and I'll say the office of teacher is the only office that matters in the church. And if that's your conviction, then I want to show you the second list. Because that is entirely opposed to what Paul has been telling the Corinthians in this chapter. There's a second list, and this one I'm going to read for you. He says, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. And then he asks a series of rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? What does he mean for us to answer? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. What he is saying is that this list of gifts that exist beyond 
the gift of preaching and teaching, these gifts also belong to the church. And in my estimation, he is not providing an exhaustive list, but a sample of the gifts that belong to the church in order to make this point to you. Even if you're not the preacher, you are critically important to the church. You also have been equipped by God maybe differently than I have. I think I've said it a number of times. I'm going to say it again. I am so thankful for the gift of administration that exists in our church. I do not think I could be a pastor in this church without the administrator who sits behind the desk and greets you cheerfully when you show up. I don't think... It would be possible for me to function within the church without the gift of helping. There are people in this body who have dedicated their lives to helping other people. How in the world as a pastor could the church be cared for? How would that be possible for me without the help of others within the body? It would be impossible. I'd be preaching to people who are perpetually wounded. And while the message of Jesus Christ is foundational and I am joyful to preach it to you without the gifts of the church as a whole, the church will never mature. Paul says that in another place, the church grows up. When? When every part does its parts. It's absolutely critical as it is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached from this pulpit Sunday after Sunday. It is also critical that the gospel transforms this body into a group of people who use their gifts for the assistance of others. Otherwise, it will be impossible for this church to grow up and be healthy. It will not happen. You will come here and hear nice sermons and you'll leave this place smiling saying fine, but there will be very little real discipleship that occurs. And so I say to you again, you should contribute to the thing that matters, the church of Jesus Christ. But I add to it this, in a way that you're able. And you are able. You really are No matter who you are and how much you think it is unlikely that you're able to contribute, I will tell you because the scripture says you have a way to contribute. You really do. Which brings me to the third thing that I'm going to say to you this morning, and this is going to be brief, but it's really the punch of the passage. The majority of this passage that we read starts at verse 31 where Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I'm not entirely sure that's the way it ought to be translated. I think more accurately it says, but you should desire the greater gifts. And then in chapter 13, he goes on to tell you what the greater gift or the more excellent way is. And here I'm not going to be clever at all. I just want to tell you what Paul says. And that is, it is possible to use the gifts of the church for you to use gifts in your church, whatever you've been given to do, but to use them very wrongly. You can give, use your gifts of helping or administrating or even the gift of preaching, but to use it in an entirely wrong way. It becomes simply a matter of function. I'm supposed to do it, so I will. 
But if the use of gifts is divorced from a love that we have that comes from Christ and flows to each other, the gifts, instead of helping each other and encouraging growth and discipleship, will instead come to harm the body of Jesus Christ. I want to just let that reverberate for a moment. If I do not have a love for you as a preacher of the gospel, I can put together very technically sound sermons. And God is able to use those sermons. I'm sure he can. But if what I preach does not flow from the love of God for me and is issued to you with a genuine love, it cannot accomplish the purpose that Christ intends. You'll figure it out. Just like if you use your gift in the church, whatever it is, whatever your giftedness is, and I don't mean to make it super spiritual, signing up for the nursery is a way to help other people. Serving cookies is a way to help. Writing a note to somebody bringing them dinner, sitting down and praying with them, reading a scripture passage to them, calling them on the phone, bringing them to a doctor's appointment, asking a young man or woman out for lunch that you can mentor, calling someone who is lonely, visiting them in their home. There are literally thousands of ways for you to contribute in the church. All you have to do is ask, where are the opportunities? In fact, I want to challenge you as part of this series of sermons to ask yourself that question. Where can I contribute to the church of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you to transform the church. I'm asking you to contribute in ways that you're capable and where there are opportunities. I'm asking you to change your thinking from what can the church do for me to what has Christ done for me and how can I show that love for other people? I think I've noted it before. I want to note to you it again. There's a relatively contemporary theologian who said the greatest apologetic that the church can offer to a culture that is radically post-Christian is a testimony of a church that actually loves, that actually loves its members. I'm not saying that's the same thing as giving a good, well-reasoned argument about the existence of God or about the deity of Christ. I'm not saying those are the same categorically. I'm simply saying what many people are longing for, perhaps this morning what you're longing for, goes beyond your mind to your heart. I found over and over that's exactly true. The objections of our minds are expressions of our hearts. And when I started this sermon, I said to you, one of the reasons you ought to belong to the church is because it is a place to be loved. I want to end my sermon by pointing out something to you, which hopefully is not a surprise, but is so critically important to our understanding of the church. John says in 1 John, this is love, not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us and has given his son to be the propitiation for our sin. 
At the very heart of the character of God is the love that he has for us. He is motivated to care for you, not because of who you are, but simply because of his love. It is a mercy. It is a kindness. He knows you, my friend. He knows everything about you, your mistakes, your hesitancies, all the reasons why others would never want to be around you, you say in your own mind. But God in his wisdom reaches out to you simply because of his love. That love is at the foundation of the gospel. There can be no gospel without the love, motivation of our God. And that is why Paul, after explaining your place in the church and the appropriate use of your gifts, is not addressing, first of all, marriage in 1 Corinthians 13. It is not about friendship in 1 Corinthians 13. It is not so you can create a plaque to put on the wall, as interesting and fun as that is. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, is given to us in context so that we can know that the church is a place where you can contribute in a way that matters for eternity because of the love of Jesus Christ that is given to you and is expressed within the church. I pray this morning, if you came into this building wondering what the church is about, maybe if I can even speak long term, your life, even if you've been in church many, many years and you've wondered, why do I keep going? It's a pattern of life. It's just something I do. That this morning, your motivation would be radically challenged and maybe even changed. That you would come to see the church as a place that you can contribute to and matters. And it matters because of the love of Christ and the love that is demonstrated in the gifts that we use to serve each other. May that be true always, my friends, of this body of believers. Let's pray. Our Father, our simple prayer this morning is that what Paul says at the beginning of this book about the Spirit taking the things that belong to the mind of our God and making them clear to us that that truth would have been fulfilled in what we have heard. Anything that's contrary to that, that is counterproductive, that harms the cause of Christ, Lord, take it away. But all that contributes to that and causes us to grow up into the likeness of Jesus Christ, Lord, use not only these words, but use this body as a whole, that the love of Christ would be expressed in a way that is winsome and brings about real discipleship and change. Lord, make us a people of genuine love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join me in singing?
After the service, there will be people moving in various directions. So if you are in Sunday school and you sing at the beginning of Sunday school, just come to the front. If you'd like to pray with the elders, they'll be to my left. There will be women who will be praying in the cry room behind the um, one-way glass back there. And, of course, you're all invited for cake to celebrate the Vermeulen's anniversary. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. This God gives you his peace. Amen.